Walt Disney was fired from a newspaper for lacking imagination and good ideas. Albert Einstein was thought to be mentally handicapped before changing the face of modern physics and winning the Nobel Prize. It took Thomas Edison a thousand tries before he was able to have a functioning light bulb. And his teachers told him that he was just too stupid to, earn, to learn anything. Dr. Seuss, he tried 27 times before he was able to find a publisher who would print his first book. And Vincent Van Gogh, we know about him. He sold only one painting in his lifetime, but his works of art that remain are priceless. Difficulties tempt us to give up, don't they? Um, I would moan to my mother, I'll never be able to play the trumpet. And, um, and we feel there's no way I can pass this class. There's no way I can complete this program. And that spills over, too, into our relationship with the Lord. Why is it that I can't seem to make any progress when it comes to this particular sin? Well, as much as difficulties tempt us to give up, the Lord reminds us in his word that work out your own salvation because God is at work in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. There's good news for the people of God. Whatever the struggles that are before them. Today's psalm is a great psalm for anybody who's struggling. Psalm 22. We just heard it read. Um, in it, the writer moves from uh, expressions of abandonment to trust, to prayer, to praise. And we're going to follow his outline um, and then ask ourselves the question, well, how can we make this psalm more ours in terms of how we face the week that's ahead. The title tells us that David is the writer. We don't know anything about the circumstances. We don't know when he wrote it. All we know is that he is the one who is identified as the writer. Whatever the circumstances were, we do know he is in deep distress. He feels so distressed that we can say, he feels abandoned by God. Notice verses 1 and 2. My God, why have you forsaken me? He says that God is far from saving him. He's far from the words of his groaning. God's providing no answers. He's giving him no rest. And so repeatedly, my God, my God, my God. He pours out his heart before the Lord. He's in extreme need. That's one of David's problems, that God seems removed. But it's not the only one. He also has people problems. And those come to expression in verses 6 through 8. He is in a dire situation. I'm a worm, not a man, scorned by mankind, despised by the people, all who see me mock me, make their mouths at me, wag their heads. 
Did you ever find yourself in a situation where somebody suggested that you didn't measure up? David has it in spades here. So he can say, yeah, I'm a worm, not a man. And then there's another way in which his problems are described for us. Um, it's uh, uh, through a collection of animals. Uh, notice verses 12 to 18. Bulls, many bulls, lions, roaring, dogs, and then finally wild oxen. What a menagerie. Real and present danger. And I think these animals represent more people in his life. They're lethal, ferocious, terrifying. And what's the personal impact of all of this on David? Well, look at verses 14 and 15. I'm poured out like water. My bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. My tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. Uh, I mean, it's no, uh, a, a stiff upper lip here. Uh, Superman kind of power. The power of positive thinking. None of those will help David in the trouble that he faces here. He can't hold himself together. It's almost as if he's falling apart before our very eyes. Which raises a question. As followers of Christ, are we somehow magically um, mysteriously whisked above the fray um, is it the case that we, because of our religious orientation, uh, are immune from what lesser worldlings experience? This psalm would answer that question in a loud no. Health issues, financial challenges, relational tension, and unexpected combinations of all of those difficulties and more. Um, well, this is written some 3,000 years ago, but doesn't this sound like life in the 21st century? But be encouraged by Psalm 62, verse 8. Trust in the Lord at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. So David's feeling abandoned in no uncertain terms. And now what we find is him moving from abandonment to trust. There are two reasons that he identifies that he trusts in the Lord. The first one is because he belongs to the people of God. If you look at verse 2, uh, we'll work down through verses 2, down through verse 5. He says, I, first of all, I find no rest. That's kind of a carryover from his lament. Yet, to you, 
In you, our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. Now, David is of these saints and he is also one with them. And might this cry that he gives up to the, out to the Lord, might this cry also be, I sure hope he answers me the way these people have experienced answers in the past. I suspect so. There's another reason for his trust, and it's right there in verses 9 and 10. He also trusts the Lord because of his, his personal experience with the Lord. You took me from the womb. You, you made me trust at my mother's breast. Uh, David's trust in the Lord goes all the way back to the earliest moments of his life, he says. And he's not where he is in this moment by chance. The Lord has led him all the way. Now, this has some practical value in supporting David in his trials for two reasons. The first reason is because he chooses to remember God's faithfulness. He looks back to see how the Lord has taken care of his people down through the ages. He also remembers his own history and how the Lord has cared for him. But then the other part of it is he processes what God has done in the past to see that the Lord, in fact, has been at work in them. No chance happenings. And so what we're dealing with here is uh, David's expression of confidence in God's providence. God's care has been for the larger community and God's care has been for this particular writer in his distress. Now, there are lots of people who mock the idea of God's providence. Really? God is taking care of this world? Can't you even open your eyes and see the mess that's in, that it's in? For others, the struggle is a little more personal. God is working in my own life through the details that I've experienced. He's been shaping my life. Well, I'll tell you, he certainly seems to have dropped the ball at a number of points. And we might go on from that as we reflect on our own personal experience. I'm too embarrassed by the pain of my life to even look very deeply at it. I would rather not, thank you. After all, I'm trying as best I can to give people the impression that I have it all together. But clearly here and through the rest of the Bible, our stories have the stamp of God's plan on them. And we're encouraged to study them. We're encouraged to study the stories of the Bible and our own stories to plumb the depths of them. Properly understood, the stories that the Lord has built and is building into our lives are the fuel for faith. I grew up thinking Bob Jansen was just about the best of men that I knew besides my father. 
He was the lead deacon in the church that my dad pastored in western Massachusetts. And uh, one of my dad's closest friends, Mr. J, as I called him, uh, knew what it was like to suffer. He knew what it was like to feel abandoned. And so I, one time when I was really struggling, I called him and I said, Mr. J, can we get together? I want to talk. Uh, I just want to hear anything you want to say. And he's very gracious. He knew that I knew about his struggles. And I knew that he knew about my struggles. So we weren't trying to hide anything from either, from either one of us. And after some pleasantries, he confessed this. He said, you know, I come home from work now. And I sit here in my chair. And I cry and I cry and I cry. And he said, you know, Lamentations 3 has been a help to me because there's somebody there who has a story that feels like mine. Jeremiah says that he has this sense that God is treating him like a mauling bear or a lion. That he's, as it were, making him eat gravel and it's breaking up his teeth. And then he continued, but in Lamentations, Jeremiah goes on and he says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And I have carried Mr. J's counsel to me, his words. I have carried those with me over the last 40 years. And they come back periodically. And I find great comfort in the story that he was willing to share with me. One commentator has noted that the problem of one of the problems of suffering is this, and I'm quoting. The sense of being forsaken by God is a mystery because it appears to be rooted in a contradiction between theology and experience. Now, I don't know what to do with that, really. So what are my options as I struggle with my own distress and pain? I can try to go it alone, or I can turn to the Lord. Now, there's a related question that I think comes up here. To whom... Do the stories of ancient Israel and this writer truly belong? To whom do Mr. J's stories belong? And our stories? From this psalm, aren't they? Ancient Israel's stories, David's stories, Mr. J's stories, my stories, your stories. Aren't they rightly the possession of God's people? Aren't they expressions of God's providence so that the people of God can be supported as they move through this veil of tears? 
So, there's abandonment. There's an expression of trust. What's next? Please look at verses 11, and then we'll skip down to verses 19 to 21. David now turns to prayer. He says, Be not far from me, for trouble is near. There is none to help. And he continues down in verses 19 and following. Oh, you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword. You have rescued me from the horns of wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. Please notice the contrast here, verse two, with verse 2. Back in verse 2, he says, you don't answer me. Now in verse 22, he says, you have answered me. And so we move from a plea for help to a profession of confidence. The Lord is my help. And now to a promise, I will praise you. Back in verse 17, he says, I could count all my bones. Now what does he say? I will recount your goodness in the middle of the congregation. Abandonment, trust, prayer. That's the progression. And this raises a question. It's this one. Where do you go when you're in over your head? To whom do you turn? Do you go to the Lord for help? Do you move toward him? Or do you try to do it on your own? The last move of the psalm matches the beginning. We saw an extravagant, multifaceted lament. Now what we see is an extravagant song, one that is most effusive, uh, one of the most effusive in all of the Old Testament. And so David moves to praise, and you see it there in verses 25 to 31. Notice, these words of praise are a corporate undertaking that glorifies God before others. It's not just that David has his private life with the Lord. He sees value in being with the rest of the people of God, giving him the glory that's due his name. Those praises move in two directions simultaneously. They move upward to God and they move outward to more and more people. They encompass the whole world, the living, the dead, and posterity. Praise is appropriate for the people of God, for sure. And praise is also appropriate for all the peoples of the world, wherever they might be. And so this is a, an expanding vision in time and space. Now, can you see here that the Lord provides a model for us? Um, 
the Lord wants all of his people to respond to trials the way David does, by lamenting, crying out to the Lord, pour out your heart to him. Yeah, that's the place to start. But then by moving from that expression to trust, to prayer, and ultimately to praise. So what would it look like if you said, yeah, I want to be that kind of person. What, what, what might that look like this week for you? Well, let me make three suggestions. First of all, yes, do cry out to the Lord in your need, in your pain. Pour out your heart to him. Don't hold back. He wants to hear you. He's designed you for a relationship with him. That's the first one. The second one is this. Claim your place with the people of God. You are not an island. You're not designed to live by yourself. You've been made for relationship with the rest of the people of God. And so here, recount answers to congregational prayers. Recount them. Think about them. Remember them as David did. Hasn't the Lord been good through all of the COVID difficulties? Yes, he has. It's not been easy, but he's been good. <clears throat> and didn't he do wonderful things for us as a body last year? Well, recount them. And besides recounting what the Lord has done for us together, recount what God has done in your life. How has the Lord reached out to you in your time of need? And let me suggest, yes, I'm going to suggest journaling. Let me suggest journaling. Start writing down the things that God has done to bless your life. And I'm not suggesting doing it from 30,000 feet. I'm rather talking about write down at ground level how the Lord has cared for you. Try to get the fabric of his kindness. Get the different hues of color. Get the smells of his goodness to you. And look for this record in the details of the Lord's provision. And then, here's the third thing. Celebrate what God has done for you with his people. You say, well, what do you mean? I mean, be here every time the doors open. Be here so that you can celebrate what the Lord is doing with the rest of us. We need that. It's a great blessing when you're here. You may not think you're a blessing, but I'm telling you, when I see you, you are a blessing. And then when you're here, give yourself to the worship of God as fully as you possibly can. Don't sort of hang back and say, eh, I don't feel like it today. Give yourself to it. We've gathered in this place to call upon his name and worship him. And then, the third thing is, look to the future with confidence. Yes, we do live in a troubled world, but God will make a way when there seems to be no way. 
And the Lord will fulfill his promises to save all his people throughout the whole world. Uh, In commenting on Psalm 22, uh, John Calvin makes this just brief remark. He says, after the example of David, we ought to take courage. Now, we wouldn't say it that way. We'd say something like this. Be like David. Be encouraged because of what this psalm teaches. And you see, you can follow the example of David. Why? Because God is the Father of mercies, and he's the God of all comfort, and he promises to comfort us in all our affliction so that we'll be able to comfort others. He's given you his Holy Spirit. When Jesus saved you from your your sins, he gave you his Spirit as a free gift. And the Spirit is now at work in you to make you more like Christ. He is not going to leave you as an orphan. He has promised to come to you. And so he's with you every step of the way to guide you into truth and make you more like the Savior who gave his life for you. Now, the exciting thing about that is all that the Lord requires of us, he provides for us. He's not asking you to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. All that he requires, he provides. And he provides it in the person and work of Christ who's in us through his Holy Spirit. This week I heard a story about Donald Duff. Do you know anything about him? Not Donald Duck, Donald Duff. All right, now, now, sure, you remember him. All right, Donald Duff was the first missionary sent out by the Church of Scotland. And he and his wife set sail on October 14, 1829, to go to India. Four months later, they have left England and they are now down at the Cape of Good Hope. And guess what happens? Storm. Boisterous weather. Rough seas. Their ship runs aground and breaks apart. All the passengers, thankfully all the passengers and the crew survived, but their possessions were lost. And so the next day, they go out to see if there's anything they can retrieve from this shipwreck. They pick up two books, a Bible, Donald Duff's Bible, and his songbook, his Psalter. Now, it's also to be said that he had loaded his other 798 books on the ship and they were all lost. His whole library was gone. He's left with two books, his Bible and his altar. And he gathers the people that have survived together, and he reads from them the last verse of Psalm 107. Do you know what it says? Psalm 107, verse 43, goes like this. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. You know, I can imagine that you may have come today in deep distress of one sort or another. 
Maybe you can look back and you can see how the Lord has delivered you in the past. Maybe you're wondering, like David, if he will deliver you in the future. Well, wherever you are, may you too today consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Father, we thank you for your kindness to us. We thank you for this psalm. We thank you that we can follow David's example as you work in us by your Holy Spirit. And so we entrust ourselves to your care for the week that's ahead. And we pray these things with thanksgiving. In Jesus' name, amen.